couple of announcements to start with. The uh, pastor asked me to uh, tell you that if you're in the newcomers group, uh, the class is right across the hall in room two. And if you're in the uh, new members class, you go over to the resource center. And it's down the hall slightly. Don't forget uh, today at two o'clock, there is the Sanctity of Life rally here at the building at CPC. Um, midweek series starts again this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, 7.15 for adults, but the kids all start at 7, so if you would all be here at 7. <clears throat> uh, let's see, baptism, March 8th at 5 o'clock, that's right here also. We have a dinner afterwards. See the pastor if you want to be baptized. And again, one more time, Next week, at 6 o'clock, we will have the uh, getting to know you. And if you haven't had your picture taken, I think you better get across the hall right now because I think they're finishing up on that because they have to have the book ready by next week. All righty. With that said, I'll introduce myself. I'm Ken McGill. Many of you know... Uh, Grandma Bev, because your kids have probably been in the nursery in the last 10 years, because that's where she is. She's been there for all these years, and it really enjoys raising the kids and having them on her lap. I work with eight and nine-year-olds most of the time on Wednesday nights, so if I talk over your head, you'll understand why. Okay, I'm going to start. Um, I have two lessons. The first one is an object lesson. And that first object is a book, which I'm sure your kids have either seen on TV or read, The Wizard of Oz. And what we usually do when we're teaching school or class, we ask the people or the students, what's the name of the book? And the book is The Wizard of Oz. And we say, who is the author? And in this case, it was L. Frank Baum. The book was written back in the early 1900s, and it was illustrated by a W.W. Denzel. Now, the last thing we usually ask the student is, what was the book about? What did you learn? What did you understand? Now, you all know in The Wizard of Oz, the children know that there's a character named Dorothy. There's a character named Scarecrow, Tin Woodman and Cowardly Lion. Now, what was Dorothy trying to get to when she got down into the land of Oz? She was trying to get home. And along the way, she met with a lot of rough circumstances, and the Scarecrow, Tin Woodman, and the Cowardly Lion helped her get to where she wanted to go. But when she got to where she thought she was going to get to go back home, the wizard had a balloon and it took off without Dorothy. So she was wondering, how am I going to get home? In the story, Glenda the witch, the good witch, tells her, you've always had a way to get home. You have the silver slippers, which the book says in the movie they were red. And so... She says, all you have to do is click your heels three times and you'll be home. Now we have another book. You all realize what book this is. This is the Bible. It's 
Bible is the title. Sometimes it's called the NIV study or whatever, the message, etc. But who's the author? Many people say, well, there were a lot of authors. No, there was one author. It was God, and it is his story. He had about 40 scribes who wrote the book, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as they went along, they added an over a 1,500-year time span, and there were about 40 authors from all various types of work. There were shepherds, there was a king, there were a couple of kings, in fact, David and Solomon. And there were shepherds, and there were men from all different walks of life that wrote the word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Today I would like to take you through a BSF study, which is on the study of Exodus. And I picked out lesson 13, which was called the Shekinah Glory. And in this particular lesson, we find that Moses is addressed by God, and he tells him exactly what he wants the people to do. Now think about being out on the desert after, remember, they left Egypt, and they had seen a whole lot of miracles, the ten plagues, and the crossing of the Red Sea, and they were camped at Mount Sinai. And Moses went up the mountain, and God talked to him and told him and gave him the Ten Commandments. Moses came down 40 days later, and what did he find? Aaron had made a golden calf, and when they asked him, where'd that golden calf come from? He says, well, I just put the gold in the fire, and it was there. I don't think that was quite the way it happened. I think he took a little time to put it together. The verses that detail Moses' inspection of the tabernacle, which is another thing that the uh, Israelites had to do, they left, um, they left Egypt about 20 days after the first day of the first day of the new year. And... When they got to Mount Sinai, Moses told them that they had, or 40 days later, he gave them the Ten Commandments, and then they saw that calf, and he threw the Ten Commandments at the calf and broke it up. And then he takes the, the broken pieces, and he gives them to the people. It's all broken up real small, so it wouldn't hurt them. But he made them take on that to show them that God was very displeased with what they had done. So then, the first day of the first or the second year, the people set up the tabernacle. Now God had given them instructions on how to build this tabernacle, and if you go into uh, Exodus, you'll find that there's five chapters on how the instructions on how to make it, and seven chapters on the uh, well, it's, it's five on construction and seven on instructions. So now let me read a portion of uh, Exodus 40. And I want to point out the, that there's a cloud that comes down from heaven. This is called Shekinah glory. It's the glory of the Lord, and it's from chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Now remember, they're out on a desert, and they don't know exactly which way they're going. They're following where Moses takes them. He's their deliverer. Remember, he took, took them out of Egypt, and now he's delivering them to where they're supposed to go, which is Canaan. But because of their disobedience, they wander through the desert for 40 years. But in that second year, after God had given the instructions on to make the tabernacle, they set it up. And after they set it up, this is one of the things that really caught me when I heard this lesson a few weeks ago, is that Moses was in awe when he saw the Shekinah glory come down on the tent. This was called Tent of Meeting. Now, if you look at this cross up here behind me, and if you were to tilt it that way, the long end facing that way, that would be east, because that is east here, too. And if you recall what Pastor said in the first hour, he said that they, the only way in is through the gate. Well, the gate was on the east end, so it would be on this end. It just so happens the cross here faces north that way, south that way, and would be west that way. Now, the reason I'm pointing to the cross is because there were 12 tribes, and they were around in the camp of the tent of meeting. On this end, the long end, there were 186,400 men. They only counted the men. But if you count the women and children that were added to this particular group, there would probably have been about 2 million. So there were 186,000 on this end. At the top, there were 108,100. And on the cross, on the horizontal, on this side, there were 62,700, and on the other side, 59,300. And right in the center of the cross, where the cross would meet, that would be where the tent of meeting would be. And that's with all the camp, all the men and women of the camp around the tent of meeting, they could not go in the tent. Only the priest, the high priest, could go into the tent. And so the rest of them would stand at their tent door and watch as the priest went in. And Moses would stand in the, around the middle, because this is where the Levites were uh, camped, in the middle, around the tent. So then the Lord, he comes down and fills the tent. And the people are awed. Now, this is something that struck me that night I heard the, the lesson, was that they were so awed, they just stood there in, in amazement. 
because if you look at this particular tent with the Shekinah glory, the way it was built with gold and white and purple and blue, it would have really, really shined in the middle of the camp. And I come, sometimes wonder when we come into the, our meetings here, do we really, really realize who we're meeting with? It's the Lord himself. We don't see him, but he's here. Because the Holy Spirit, the God, the Father, and Son are all here. They can see us, even if we can't see them. Another thing that uh, I found that was the questions that they asked in our lesson in BSF was, what was the first command Moses gave the Israelites when the work began to build the tent of meeting? And that was, keep the Sabbath. And the other thing was, how would you relate this command to God's purposes for the Israelites? And I find that in God's word, most of his commands are imperative. We either do it or we don't, just like Pastor said in the first hour. If you take the narrow road, there's a consequence. If you take the narrow gate, there's also a good consequence. You get the glory. Who supplied the materials for the tent of meeting? Well, I recall that uh, when we were looking for this particular location, that we raised some funds within about two weeks in order to be able to take on this particular uh, facility. And that, that was an amazing thing, how quickly we did it. And this is the same thing that happened when they got the materials and the furnishings for the tent of glory or the tent of meeting. And what about the skilled workers? They were there. God had already prepared the right people to do the furnishing and the making of the different parts of the tent of meeting. How could you use the way the tabernacle was constructed to change how you pray for yourself and your family? How would you pray if you knew for sure that God was here present? And when you come in, how would you act when you get here? I sometimes wonder whether we've got the right attitude when we come in here. Some people come in, I think, I don't want to point anybody out, but some people come in and they're still pushing their cell phone buttons or they're texting somebody. I don't think that would be permitted at the tenth of meeting. I think God would have been a little upset about that. And what did, the, what did uh, God say to Moses? He told them to do just as I command. That gives us another thing to think about. When we read the word, there are a lot of commands, a lot of imperatives. And as, again, as Pastor pointed out this morning in the message, for obedience, there is blessing. For disobedience, there's consequences. What part of the tabernacle did God tell Moses to set in the fir- up first? And it was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what was the Ark of the Covenant? This is where they actually put the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron, and a small portion of manna. And what is manna? They didn't have a real name for it. That's what the Israelites call it. But 
The manna was found when the people started complaining about what they were going to eat. And Moses said, well, what am I going to tell the people? What are we going to eat? And it so happened that God told Moses, he says, well, tell the people to go out in the morning, and after the dew has lifted, there'll be small portions of bread for all the people. But each one has to go out and get its own. What does that mean? Bread of mana or bread of life. It was kind of showing the people that they had to do it every day. If you recall, the first, what Moses was told was that they can go out the first six days of the week to get what they need, but one day they're not going to get any. So what he made provision for was on that sixth day, they would get a double portion. So what does that tell us that we should do every day? Jesus in the disciples' prayer said, give us our daily bread. Well, that bread is God's bread, his word. This is what we need to do is read God's word on a daily basis. Not just whenever we feel like it. If you want to be fed, you have to go each and every day. Another interesting thing that came up about the traveling of the Israelites is that when they were out on the desert and the glory of God, it was called a cloud, would rise up. And when the cloud rose up, that meant that everybody had to pack up and leave, which meant they moved. And they probably moved in a straight line. The first three uh, tribes were Judah, Zebulon, and Ishkar. And they would have been at the tip of the cross and moving wherever God directed them because the cloud would go in front of them. Then the ones that would fall in behind Judah were those three tribes with Reuben, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And then the top would fall in behind them, which was Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. And then the last group would fall in to to be the guard, final guard, and that was Dan, Naphtali, and Asher. And again, we said that there was probably 603,550 men that were over 20, plus their families. So that would have come to over 2 million people probably that were marching off into whatever direction God was leading them with the cloud. Now, this cloud was like a cloud uh, that would maybe whirlwind up and down. In the daytime, it was white, but at night, it was fire. Now, why would he have a cloud in the day and a fire at night? Well, remember, they're on the desert. And when you're on the desert, it gets pretty darn cold at night, and it gets pretty darn warm in the daytime. So at night, it kept them warm. And in the daytime, it kept them cool. And it also directed them. And if you go clear back to the time they left Israel or left Egypt, remember it got behind them and kept the Egyptians from uh, catching up with them as they crossed the Red Sea. And then it lifted. And then the Egyptians came into the Red Sea and were, of course, drowned. Other passages in the Bible make it very clear and pointed to God's presence with the people. 
The passage that identifies the cloud with God most directly is in Numbers 10.33-36, where it seems that Moses called the cloud the Lord. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them. During those three days, they found a place of rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by the day when they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. God had given the people such an exalted understanding of himself. He was transcendent and intimate. What do those words mean? Transcendent means above and beyond all belief. And imminent means pleased to dwell near us and among us and be our God. God dwells in his people with his people today through the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your body. And there are passages that tell us our body is a holy temple. And God dwells within us. And last week, uh, Ron Biggs told us that we would like to know how to discern his will. Well, the Holy Spirit helps us to make the right choices, but we have to think about it. We have to read the word. That's what helps us think correctly, by reading God's word. And sometimes we'll read a passage and we won't get much from it. And two months later, we'll read the same passage and all the truths just jump out at us. We wonder, wow, how come I didn't see that the first time? But God has a plan, and he takes us through a process. We don't always get exactly where we want to go the first day we start out. I recall how, how my life has gone over all these years, and I, I never would have thought or planned it the way it turned out, but I'm glad it worked out the way it is. Went through many trials, tribulations, but it always things worked out well. I was just sharing with uh, Beth Akers that uh, <clears throat> when I was in the service, my unit had not left for Vietnam. But my last 30 days, our unit and our company were, were getting ready to go to Vietnam. But since I was under 30 days, I was not worried about leaving because they said under 30 days would not be extended. And when I got home, my grandfather said, I pray that you wouldn't have to go over there. And I was very fortunate that I did not have to go because six months later, my unit did go over to Vietnam and they were surrounded at Gue. And they were not, many of them, not able to get out. I also had several friends that... Uh, fought in World War II and talked with them. Very interesting stories, but very, very dangerous. One gentleman I talked to was an LCT uh, driver. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but he was one of those landing crafts that goes into the beaches. He said that they, when they go in, they go in about six times, and they take the men in. There's about 30 on a, on a landing craft. And he said that many times there were other landing crafts that were destroyed, but his was never hit. Another time he was on a ship, 
And bombs came down, and they were, they were friendly bombs instead of enemy bombs, and almost destroyed the ship that he was on. Another gentleman that I knew was at Imo Jima when the flag went up. And he said what happened there was they put the first flag up, and it was a small flag. But the newspapers wanted the big flag so they could put it in the newspapers. And so six other men were picked out, the ones we see on the stamps and all the bonds and things that are in our history books. And those six men were the ones that were put in the newspaper. There were six others that actually put the first flag up. But he was a medic. And if you can go back to that Second World War time in Imo Jima, this was an island that the Imperial Japanese Army held and wanted to hold as, all as, as much as they possibly could. They didn't want to lose it. But the Americans kept coming and finally took Imo Jima. But I'm sure as a medic he saw a lot of terrible things. When they were out there on the desert, I'm sure there were a lot of things that they were afraid of, had no idea what was going on, but God protected them. Again, we said that the cloud protected them at night and protected them during the day and when the Egyptians uh, pursued them. How many people would have ex- uh, survived if they hadn't gone out and got their mana? Remember we said they had to go out on a daily basis to get the mana. Or... If the cloud rose and Moses said, okay, we're marching, they blow the trumpet and they say, we're marching, and you decided, I don't want to leave my spot right here. I don't feel like going out there and moving my tent. You'd be left on the desert without protection, both at night and during the day. So you better get up, fold up your tent, and move on. We sometimes say, oh, I'm going to pray for this or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, and two days later, we forget what we told God we were going to do. We've got to be careful. Now, when they got to Canaan, that was home. At least they thought it was. That was the promised land. So now, how do we get home? The way we get home is through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Ken said, the road is wide, and full of destruction, or you can take the narrow road. And that narrow road is the gate where Jesus Christ is. If we take Jesus as our Savior and have faith that he is the one that died for us on the cross, Calvary, then we have the Lord in us, the Holy Spirit fills us. But we, too, have an obligation to fulfill whatever we can do, so we serve. And I know that uh, many of you have served throughout the years in many different ways. And when you look back, you can see where it has gotten us. We used to be a group of about 90 people. Now we're close to 300. That's over a period of about 10, 12, 13, 14 years. This church began in 2001, so... Another thing that I, that I thought of when I was laying in bed this morning is that in 2005, we went to a seminary off-site, and Pastor Ken shared with us 
the 2015 vision. At that time, we were renting a school building called Summit. And like I say, every, every morning when we went there on Sunday, we had to set up the chairs and the tables so that we could worship. Then we had to tear them down and put them so that we could have cafe community. And then we had classes in the, cl- in the uh, classrooms at the school for the children. Much like it is here, but it wasn't our own building. We were renting it. Then we moved on to another building. <clears throat> it was a little bit bigger. That one was in Brownstown. It was called Brownstown Middle School. Then we moved from there to Patrick, <clears throat> excuse me, Patrick Henry. And that one was a little bit bigger too, but we were still renting. Then they told us we couldn't stay at Patrick Henry because they, they couldn't uh, allow us to be there for any longer, that they wanted us to move on to Woodhaven High School. <clears throat> so we were there until about three years ago. And then we found this property and we purchased it. And so here we are, 2015. And many of those things that were on that list in 2005, we have already attained or reached. There's still plenty to do, but uh, we're still growing and uh, more ministries are being added as we go along. One other area I want to explain about the cloud of the Holy Spirit is there are at least 10 things about the Israelites in the cloud that apply one way or another to the relationship of Christians with the Holy Spirit. Received after deliverance. When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, the cloud assured them of God's presence. God then led them by the cloud throughout their journey. Likewise, God delivers Christians from the slavery to sin by faith in Christ's sacrifice. Second, God's gracious gift. The people did not ask for the cloud to be with them. Likewise, when God makes his own child by faith, he freely gives the Holy Spirit to to us even when we have not asked. Three, Like a cloud, the Holy Spirit guides Christians along the way of a Christian life. A light, number four, a Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He gives us light upon our way. Five, a covering. We live in a hostile world, environment. The Holy Spirit shields us from the world's anger and the devil's assaults. He will provide a way of escape for us when temptation confronts us. God's voice. Today the Holy Spirit is the spokesman for the Holy Trinity, a role he exercises as he teaches us the Bible. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Number seven, not understood by the world. The cloud was darkness to the Egyptians. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the things of God cannot be understood. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. No delay. The cloud rested upon the tabernacle as soon as it was set up. The Holy Spirit comes upon, actually into, all Christians from the very first moment we are alive in Christ. He is the, the agent of our regeneration, or as an ancient creed proclaims, the Lord and giver of life. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. 
moment by moment, our consciousness of you is an amazing truth. Number nine, all through Israel's wilderness and wanderings, this cloud was never taken away. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And number 10, the cloud shall once again descend upon Israel. Isaiah spoke of a future day when the Lord would come over all the Mount Zion, over all those assembled there, a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory of the Lord would be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge of hiding place from the storm and rain. You look for the salvation of Israel by the power of God's Spirit. And what I wanted to call this, I never did mention it, but my question to you is, who is in the center of your camp? Now, what do I mean by your camp? I mean your family, your marriage, your school, your place of business, wherever you are in life. Who is in the center of your camp? I told you that in the center of this camp was the tent of meeting, and that's where God was. So I would hope that you would each and every one keep God in the center of your camp on a daily basis. Remember, read the word, and the Holy Spirit will lead, guide, and give you discernment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the lessons that you have given us. We thank you for your holy word. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to guide and direct us. Help us to be witnesses for you and so show others the way to eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.